welcome to Conversations About Life. Good morning, John. Thanks for joining in with me in this conversation for the podcast. And how have you been? I'm good. Uh, it's nice to see you. It's been, uh, I don't know how long. We uh, met in Arnold, and I'm living in Georgia now. Yeah. But, uh, a lot of stuff has happened in between. A lot has happened in between. It sure has. So you are a land uh, surveyor, right, in Georgia? That's right. And you're married, and you have some children. I've got four girls. Four girls. Wow. And I just I took a look at your Facebook uh, page. So you yeah. studied theology at Southern Seminary. Uh, I took one semester there. I, okay. I think I have a whole list of places I got bits and pieces of education okay. on my profile. But yeah. And then you and your family were missionaries in Russia for a few years. Yeah. Uh, I went to Russia the first time in 95 for a two month trip. Uh, I was, would have been about 20 then. And I was kind of taking a break from, I was trying to figure out what kind of profession I, I was, I was working at a land surveying company and I was interested, I was studying engineering and then I took a, uh, semester off from school to, uh, after I got my associate's degree in engineering, I, I, I decided to get a job and see how I liked engineering in the company. I ended up kind of doing a, a, uh, internship, I guess you could call it with, was, uh, more of a land surveying company and I, and I enjoyed it. Um, I was there for about a year, Govro land services and, Imperial. Okay. I think you can still see the sign off of I-55. Okay. Yeah. Well, so besides all of these life events, how else would you describe yourself as a person? Uh, as a person? Um, well, yeah, I guess I'm a, I'm a land surveyor. Uh, but uh, there was kind of a big switch about eight years ago. We were, look, we were in overseas in Russia and... I think we spent, I spent about nine years there all together and uh, we went back as a family to Moscow in 2012 and we were working with uh, Muslim migrant workers in Russia, in Moscow, a lot like uh, Hispanics here. Okay. Uh, they come here to, they come to Russia to work. Um, so that was kind of my identity at that time, but then we had some health issues and different things. So I came back and had to get a job again. So got back into surveying and, uh, that's kind of my identity now, other than being a father, a husband and, uh, work keeps me pretty busy. So working with Russian, I mean, Muslim migrant workers, what kind of work were you doing with them? Um, so yeah, most of them were from places like Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, um, places that are hard to access. Um, if you're going there to, uh, 
be a missionary or to reach them with the gospel. But uh, in Russia, it was a little bit easier, a little bit more open. And so we went there as English teachers and we started a business um, to do English teaching in Moscow. And then whenever we had opportunity, we would just build relationships with uh, uh, different uh, Muslim background people and uh, find different ways to reach them and uh, share stories uh, about Jesus with them. So, okay. What kind a lot of different than what I'm doing now? What kind hmm. of familiarity did they have of Jesus already? Any at all? Uh, yeah. So, a lot of uh, Muslims from Central Asia, that part of the world, um, it's just an identity of being an Uzbek, you're Muslim, being a Tajik means you're Muslim. And so, a lot of it is cultural. Islam, but if you have any kind of understanding of Islam, um, then there's already some belief about Jesus being a, a prophet. Um, but uh, I guess you, you, you could take one guy I worked with a lot um, before I got married. I was in southern Russia working with Muslims there. And that was more... Um, from the Caucasus Mountains area, there's a lot of different Muslim background people groups there. Very diverse area, and I worked with some uh, Chechen refugees. I don't know if that probably rings a bell with most people with the the war there in the '90s with Russia and Chechnya. And uh, so the town I was in wasn't too far from there, but far enough that they would they had left the war there and. Uh, uh, one guy I worked with, Kazbek, he uh, um, it was it was right after nine eleven when I was there, and uh, you know they had their own theories about who Americans were and what happened with nine eleven, and they're pretty hostile to Americans when I first met them. But uh, as we got to know, he just saw me. I was a regular person, and we would talk about spiritual things and. I don't know if I'm getting off topic from answering your question, but uh, his understanding of who Jesus was changed. Uh, and he he would tell me he believed the stories I told him from the Bible, and <laughs> but he just couldn't quite um, come to grips with the fact of Jesus being equal with God or being, the, you know, the, the concept of the Trinity. Um, is something that they uh, are against. The, the Muslim refrain is, uh, there is no God, but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. So the the, uh, the oneness of God is very important. And it also is in Judaism and Christianity, but we understand it in uh, a more complex form. And so that's a, a long answer to what their understanding of Jesus was. But, uh, you know, it's it, w- it would be interesting to see other people hear the same stories and uh, would come to faith. Didn't happen often. Um, was very uh, slow trying to reach them and uh, seeing results from that. But uh, the more they heard the stories, um, the
the more you can see them um, gripping with those spiritual questions. Because a lot of them are just, like I said, cultural Muslims. It was just part of their identity. and They weren't necessarily uh, very active in their faith. Some of them were, some of them weren't. But uh, um, I think when they hear the stories uh, of how all things point to Christ and, and the scriptures, um, some of them would believe, and I think that's just a matter of God revealing himself to them. Um, that's what it takes um, for anyone, so whether you're Muslim or not. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that you're that you told them stories, which makes sense because that's how Jesus is presented to us through stories. We have a neighbor who, well, she, she's just real recent, just uh, been here less than a week. Um, and she's from Jordan, but we've had coffee together a couple of times and she's Muslim more culturally. And we've got, but she calls herself an agnostic and she has lots of opinions about spiritual things. It seems like she believes in some uh, view of reincarnation. Um, but our discussion so far has been on more philosophical things. But I wonder if you know, for um, philosophical things about who is God and reasons for God. But I wonder if stories are a better way to, um, you know, con converse with somebody because people, I don't know how often people are argued into the kingdom or like convinced through reasoning and so forth. I heard one person, he's a, Greek Orthodox, I believe, or Eastern Orthodox. And he said, when he's uh, talking to outsiders, rather than approach them with reason and logic, he tries to help them to see the beauty of Jesus and the beauty of the gospel. And it's more of like presenting something to others that might compel them and so it's not so much a logical, reasonable thing, but it's just wanting them to see how the orderliness and the glory of it and um, how it encompasses everything. There's just this spiritual beauty to it. But I wonder if stories are more effective for doing that or, or I don't know if more effective for that, but just they present the gospel to us and in, in the way it was presented to us. So maybe that's kind of interesting. You know, you're, you're mentioning stories. Yeah. yeah and I, I say stories, I just mean stories from scripture mostly, mm -hmm. um, you know, also personal testimony is a way of telling a story. Yeah. But I think when you see Christ telling a parable or a story, uh, there's a lot of complexity there that you can't just relate uh, all the elements of the story one-to-one -one with spiritual truths. Um, I think th there's so much to dig out of there and something's going to connect with somebody at some point. Hmm. When you just keep telling the stories and in, in, in what I found with uh, especially Muslims from Central Asia, so easy to 
naturally uh, get involved into spiritual topics with them because um, they were always interested. Uh, they would just come up naturally. And so mm-hmm. you know, they, I, I would get questioned. I'd just be playing soccer a lot of times uh, as a way to meet guys and um, or just go to get a coffee with somebody, things like that. Um, and, you know, just a question would come up out of the blue. They knew I was a Christian. They knew, uh, you know, uh, they equated, a lot of them equate Christianity with Russia or with the West. And it's kind of a us versus them mentality. Uh, uh, you know, they, they hear a lot of things um, as they try to learn about their own faith um, that gets some things mixed up or hear things wrong or just just like a lot of people they don't really have a deep understanding of their faith but like for example somebody asked me we were just out walking around so he said i heard that uh jews killed jesus is that true and so it's just a natural way to talk about you know how all of us uh are sinners and that's why jesus became the sacrifice. And so then I was able to go into stories starting from, you know, the original sacrifice um, with, uh, and, and God's relationship with Abraham and how he commanded them to uh, make sacrifices and how Jesus was the lamb of God. And, you know, just, and he, you know, they just listen and eat it up <laughs> because uh, I think there's a lot to that. Um, one, one of the main things I worked on, at my time there was uh, uh, writing a series of uh, lessons using the Bible storying method, as we might call it, um, starting from creation to Christ, and uh, wrote them specifically based on a lot of the conversations I had uh, with friends and uh, kind of answering some of those questions, but mostly just telling the stories from from Scripture um, without, but you know choosing some of the stories I might have chose based on some conversations I had. Uh, For example, Muslims, before they go to the mosque, or when they go to the mosque, they take off their shoes and they they do these oblations where they wash their hands a certain way and their face and their ears, and and they pray a certain way. And uh, so one of the stories I chose was when uh, uh, Jesus was asked why his disciples didn't wash their hands. And so kind of use that as a, his answer was basically what is within a man defiles him, not what, what goes, what, what comes out of a man is what defiles him, not what, what goes into him. And so just those kind of things. And that, that kind of, that whole concept to me is illustrated well by um, the two disciples after, Jesus's resurrection were walking on the road to Emmaus and Jesus appeared to them and they didn't recognize him, even though they'd spent all that time with him. Um, cause they weren't expecting him or who knows, but, uh, um, they asked him what, it, why he asked him why they were sad and they told him what had happened. And he just started explaining to them from all the prophets and in, in the old Testament, how Jesus fulfilled all of those stories that they knew so well. And, uh, 
And it says that their heart burned within them. And then it wasn't until they broke bread together that they their eyes were open and they recognized him. Um, and I, I, it seems like that's just what happens with uh, people after they continue to hear the stories. And that's what we would use was uh, teaching English. Um, a lot of these guys in Moscow were single guys or maybe married, but they left their families and they would live maybe 20 people in a two-room apartment like sardines on the floor. Uh, some of them even were locked up in basements under um, multi-story apartment complexes um, at night and then let out in the morning to go shovel snow or sweep the streets or whatever jobs that no one else wanted to do. But uh, uh, one of these guys, Ali Mordan from Uzbekistan, um, that's the kind of life he lived. He lived up in the attic of a factory that he worked for with a bunch of other guys. And we started doing this English club for these guys. And uh, and he would come. And uh, we always started with just the basics and would use a little bit of English, teach him a few words here and there. But started out with who is God and God is eternal. God is the creator. And they agree with all those things based on Islam. You know, that God is holy, that God is just and those things you know they didn't argue with but then he would always we would, we would have him kind of use their words in english to describe god and he would always kind of cross his arms and say god is one because that's islam you know not believing that jesus can be uh one that god can be one and you can have jesus the son and the holy spirit and and god the father and so, you know, I understood what he was trying to say, what his point was. And we would go on and he would kept coming and hear all the stories. And he came to our apartment one night and uh, it was too late after um, the lesson. And he lived on the other side of Moscow. And so he, he spent the night there and we were sitting there washing dishes together. We usually had some food for them. And... Uh, he says, you know what, I want to follow the way that you follow. That I see he had a, a couple of Uzbek friends that were believers. And, um, yeah, I think it was just hearing those stories over and over. Um, that uh, and, and seeing the lives of, of some of his friends. And uh, seeing Jesus lived out through them. So what, what was next? He wants to follow the way you follow. God, the way you follow God, and what was your response yeah. or what happened then? So, you know, we, we prayed on, there on the floor, but before um, we prayed, um, we talked about, uh, you know, what are you going to do when you go back to Uzbekistan? Um, you lived in a little village in the middle of nowhere. Um, do you know any believers there? You know, when Jesus, you know, we talked about the cost of following Christ because for them it's real, you know? Um, and he said, no, I don't know anybody, um, but uh, this is this is what I want to do. And so he prayed and, uh, you know, I haven't been able to keep up with him very well, but uh, hopefully, you know, he's been able to live that out, even in Uzbekistan. Yeah. So were you involved with in a baptism with him 
uh, didn't reach that point. Okay. I think he, you know, they, they kind of come and go. Okay. And so we build relationships with them as we can. Um, so yeah, unfortunately I don't think we, we followed it up that far. So what, what but, are they uh, doing? <clears throat> Excuse me. What are they doing there? Are they in Russia for work? Is it the white yeah. bottom there? Okay. Yeah. Like Tajikistan, for example, my wife lived there for a year. I think the statistic was like something like 75% of the working male population of Tajikistan that goes to Russia or somewhere else because it's just not work there. And, uh, they'll go and do whatever work they can find. Like I said, sweeping the streets, shoveling snow. Uh, Ali Mardam worked at a, a factory where they made some kind of rubber tiles for playgrounds. Um, just whatever work they can find and they live wherever they can find a place. And then they'll send money back home over, you know, Western Union or whatever um, and try to build up some kind of money and then hopefully go back home eventually. You know, you mentioned very similar to Mexican migrant right, workers here. I see. Hispanic. You mentioned health problems getting in the way. Was that your own health problems? Uh, so not mine, okay. uh, more my, my wife's um, struggling with some issues after we had our third there in Moscow. Our, our third daughter was born in a Russian hospital. So, um, and that wasn't, that was just one of a lot of different issues that we felt like, you know, it was time for us to, to stay here um, indefinitely and hopefully one bit, one day get back there or somewhere else, wherever God has us, use them. Hopefully he, uh, you know, we're being used wherever we are. Okay. But uh, I never, you know, uh, growing up, you know, you always hear people talk about making a commitment to maybe Christian service or something. I always felt like that would be like a natural, easy step for me. My dad was a pastor. My grandfather was a pastor, um, but it didn't really necessarily feel that calling. I think it's important to know that you have a calling, um, but at the same time, um, if you're a follower of Christ, that wherever you are, you're making, you know, he's, he's, uh, got a hold of your life and using you and wherever you are. But, uh, Just that. And yeah, I could have seen myself doing that the rest of my life, but, mm-hmm. uh, I, I can see myself doing a lot of different things. So what does that uh, look I'm, like for you now? Um, like, well, you're a father, so naturally you're disciple making there in your home. Is there any other way, um, that you're involved in, um, uh, you know, disciple making where you are. Yeah. So n- definitely not as much. Uh, unfortunately, when I, when I got back, you know, I was planning on going back to Russia in 2012. And then just after some months of getting ready to go back, we realized, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't right for us at that point. And, um, so I had to find a job, um, so I went from being ready to spend the rest of my life overseas to getting back into the workforce. So before like I, I mentioned that one year working for a surveyor in St. Louis, um, right after that, I m- made my first trip to Russia and then it was kind of off and on usually three years at a time in Russia. 
and then doing odd jobs over here. So I didn't have a really much of a career. I had an education, but so got back into surveying. I think my, uh, well, in between trips before we went back to the family, I got my first, I got another job as a surveyor. I was making $9 an hour, <laughs> but, uh, I got my license a few years ago, 2016. And, uh, yeah, I enjoy it. Okay. Um, so you went to Southern, you know, just from listening to you talk, um, you, you seem to have a strong sense of God's sovereignty in the whole process of someone coming to know him and becoming a disciple. And then from what I know of Southern, the reputation is, you know, kind of more of a Calvinistic type of um, school, I think. Um, so is that kind of your perspective then on, um, uh, or do you have any th- thoughts about that? Like, are you, is your own perspective on um, salvation and stuff kind of like the five points of Calvinism along those lines? Um, yeah, I don't know that I'm even that up on theology to give you a real good answer. I'm not the, really that type. I, I took a semester, like I said, at Southern um, after a three-year term with the Southern Baptist in, in Southern Russia when I was still single. And uh, so I had a scholarship. And uh, at that time, I was already corresponding with Summer, my wife. She was in Tajikistan working with Muslims. Um, we had first met in Moscow. Um, but, uh, so I took that semester and then, and then I got married. So ne- never finished up okay. seminary, but, uh, I did take a class, uh, systematic theology class with Albert Muller. Okay. Yeah. You, you might be familiar mm-hmm. with him. Um, I, from what I understand, he's a reformed theology. I don't think most of those Baptist reform would call themselves five point Calvinist. Okay. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that uh, the reform theology kind of helps explain some things for people in a better way. Mm-hmm. Um, for but uh, you know, like I said, I don't hold to one thing or the other that tightly. Um, so, how did you meet your wife? She was already involved in missionary work then. Um, yeah, we met, uh, so I, I did a short-term trip in 95. She went the first time in the early 90s, like right after the fall mm-hmm. of communism. I think 92 was her first trip, maybe. And then we met on another trip I went in 97. Um, and uh, I think it was five years later when we finally got married. But uh, we did had a long-distance relationship there. While I was in southern Russia, she was in Tajikistan. I did make a trip over there because we had to leave every few months to renew our visa. So I took that trip to Tajikistan. And another time she went up to Moscow to buy some books to take back to Tajikistan. Uh, like some, She wanted to start a library for uh, uh, believers there because there just wasn't those kind of resources available. So she came up to Moscow and uh, I timed my trip up to Moscow 
when she was going up there to uh, get a hernia surgery done. Hmm. And then after the surgery, we, I was going with her all over Moscow to these different Christian bookstores and uh, carrying books for her. It probably wasn't a great idea after having a hernia surgery, but <laughs> that was kind of our first uh, dating experience. Then uh, took that semester in Southern after that and then uh, got married, lived in Georgia for three years, and then we went back as a family after we had our first two girls. Christian bookstores in Russia and Moscow. That's not what I would picture. Yeah, there's a handful. Okay. Of them. Yeah, there's a handful of them scattered around. So we were taking the subway and buses all over Moscow to find the, some resources that they could. She could take back. She kind of had to get them sort of smuggled. I think she shipped them by mail, and uh, um, they didn't necessarily look at them that way so is there a a vibrant christian community in moscow uh yeah so there's a lot of uh russian baptists Uh, they look a lot different than probably baptist you and i Hmm. know but uh that um and there's a lot of other uh types of churches now especially since the nineties. Mm-hmm. So you got you kind of have everything there now, but, uh, yeah, I'd say it's pretty vibrant. Hmm. And what about, um, it's so like the Orthodox church. I hear sometimes it referred to as Eastern Orthodox or Russian Orthodox or Greek Orthodox. I don't know what you'd call it there, but what is there that type of community too of Christians practicing Christianity through that faith tradition? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Russian Orthodoxy okay. is uh, not kind of the unofficial state religion. You know, it's not a state religion anymore. Mm-hmm. Historically, it was. And then historically, during communism, for 70-something years, they were atheists. But uh, uh, So there's a lot of cultural Christianity with, with Orthodox Christians. and But just like anything else, there's, there's a whole range of uh, people with uh, different levels of spirituality there. we One of the things we did with our English camps was uh, we took uh, the students to a mosque in the, the, the town I lived in, in southern Russia, talked with the imam, asked them some spiritual questions, what they believed, and then we took them to the Orthodox church and talked to the priest, and we took them to a local uh, Protestant church, uh, and uh, yeah, my my friend I was talking about before, who's spent a lot of time. We talked about a lot of spiritual things, and after going to that event, that Protestant church, he's like, "You know what? I I believe everything this guy says, but uh, I can't accept that Jesus is God's son." Hmm. So that's against what he, he was taught as a, a Muslim. <laughs> but uh, yeah. A whole whole variety of different beliefs there. Well, um, well, as far as your life now, um, what is your relationship to God like? Is it 
like, is it satisfying to you? Do you feel a close connection to God? Um, you, you know, experiencing just joy from th- that, um, or or what is it like? You know, just your your connection and your walk with with God at this point. Uh, I would say. Yeah, I've gone since coming back from Russia. It's it's fluctuated. Um, been really busy with work, uh, trying to get on track with the career to support my family. And uh, seems like sometimes all I do is work and think about work when I'm not working. But uh, yeah, the last year with COVID and stuff, uh, got to work from home for a couple months and uh, spends. I would say. Uh, a good renewal lately. Uh, been reading more, um, thinking about things more. Um, but yeah, in that time, the last eight years, there's been a lot of challenges uh, spiritually, and I, I see that going on a lot with uh, people uh, being disillusioned when I see people uh, uh, high profile. Hmm. Christians or maybe people they know personally that have uh, either stepped away or done something, um, you know, some kind of scandal that really causes them to question their identity as believers. Um, and I've never uh, doubted God. I, I'd say it's more <laughs> the problem was with me uh, when it comes to that, but. You know, I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of that going on. Uh, you see, personality, person after person. You know, Robbie Zacharias here lately. Yeah. Uh, a lot of things happened that that came to light with uh, Southern Baptist and hiding abuse. Um, a lot of things I didn't get exposed to growing up and you know just historically throughout my lifetime you know jimmy swagger jim baker all these these scandals uh, you see a lot of people walking away or questioning things uh, and not maybe not just based on people they see that have uh, caused them to question things but just questions in general with uh, especially with the age of social media um and for me, me personally, I think it's uh, caused me to look deeper, especially uh, recently. I think there, there's always questions that uh, can't be fully satisfied, that can't be fully explained. Um, we talked about, you know, storing. Sometimes it's there, you come to an understanding that you can't really explain. It's it's a uh, knowing. Uh, that God is good. And I, I think that's kind of the basic question people have is, is Christianity true? Number one, and then is Christianity good? And, you know, growing up, I had all the answers, uh, had all the resources and there's still all kind of resources out there with apologetics to answer all the different questions people have. You know, you go back to the, uh, the monkey trial where uh, 
they wanted to teach uh, evolution in public schools back in, I think it was in the 1920s. And they had that famous trial and the guy who was on the side of uh, not allowing it and on the side of religion, quote unquote religion, I think it was, was it Oliver Wendell Holmes? Or, I don't remember. Or anyhow, that guy basically didn't have any answers for the guy who had all the questions about science mm-hmm. and, and, you know, uh, I think that was in a response to that. You saw a lot of people start saying, oh, okay, we need to have answers to these questions about, about science or about uh, different questions people have about God. And so, you know, I grew up with all these resources that seemed like we had all, all these great answers to questions. But um, there's still questions left that uh, you have to wrestle with and come to grips with and maybe won't ever be fully satisfied um, about the nature of God and evil and um, eternity and, and hell and, and different things. But uh, I think ultimately, you know, God has to reveal himself to you and you, you just know that God is good, um, whether it's in our finite rationality. Um, if it doesn't seem that way, I think in our hearts, if God has revealed himself to us, we know. Uh, there's a, a word I've come across recently in different books I've been reading, which I've, I've been doing more of uh, in the last year. A lot of audio books because I have a long commute and uh, it's been good because I've gotten away from reading and it's causing me to think through some of these things. But uh, a word I came across anyhow was epistemology. And I'm not even sure if I understand the meaning of the word, but how, basically how do we know mm-hmm. what we know? And uh, I think that uh, um, we can know that uh, God is good uh, based on, on love, I think. Um, but also there's, so there's like a, an epistemology of love, but also of fear and awe. Um, so there's kind of this balance of seeing that God is good, but he's also just and holy. And so, you, you know, you look at Romans eight kind of struggles with those questions, uh, about, uh, why some people are uh, condemned and because of unbelief and, and eventually, you know, the answer has got to be let God be true, but every man a liar. Um, and so I, to, to answer your question, you know, I, I still believe and I'm still a Christian. And what I struggle with is, is seeing, um, the way Christians act sometimes a lot and, and, and maybe my biggest struggle is myself seeing, you know, things I struggle with, uh, with sins I struggle with and seeing other people fall in a big way. Sometimes we think our, our sins are better than others. Um, but if we're honest with ourselves, we realize, um, whether we believe in God or not, we can't ever, uh, measure up to even our own expectations, much less God's. So I feel like 
we need a savior and it's, it's really apparent. Um, the more we struggle with uh, good and evil in our own hearts. And, uh, you know, you, you can say, well, I grew up in a Christian home and, and you tend to believe whatever you grow up with, but uh, um, it's, it's like those guys on the road to Emmaus. Uh, when I hear the stories and see how the prophecies were fulfilled and, and just something causes me to know that it's true and I can't explain it. That's probably not satisfactory to any uh, scientific rationalist, but uh, you know, if I were to say, you know what, all this just sounds like uh, somebody was uh, making up these stories. Some of it's true. Some of it's half true just to make uh, the nation of Israel or whatever look good and, and, and provide a, a narrative for them. Okay, what if I say all that's not true? Um, I'm still left with the question of just the basic existence of anything. How does how does anything explain that? So, if if I go completely in the way of scientific rationalism, eventually I'm going to have to answer that question. You know, scientific or a rationalist who has to have a, a scientific reason for everything, the things that they don't understand, they say, well, eventually science will explain that, or there is a science, an explanation. We just don't know what it is yet. Um, but I, I don't see how that can ever explain the existence of anything. You know, what, how does anything mm-hmm. exist? Um, whether you believe in a literal six day creation or um, some people believe in, uh, the biblical account, but they believe that it was God used evolution somehow, you know, um, what it, whichever way you believe, um, eventually, uh, you got to come to grips with those basic questions. And so, um, it's not just, uh, uh, it is rationally for me. It makes more sense, but also just, in my spirit, in my heart, that's what I feel and believe. Uh, the God of the Bible. Yeah. I think that things like this does have more to do with what's compelling to us than um, what we realize maybe um, if we you know, think of it just, if we tend to think of it more of just pure rational reasoning to get to where we are. Um, so I listen to debates between Christians and atheists quite a bit through a podcast called um, Unbelievable Question Mark. And are you familiar okay. with it? The podcast? No, but I listen to a lot of podcasts. I'll probably, I'll probably add yeah. that one to my You got to add on the question mark because there's a lot of titles with the word unbelievable in it. But um, it's really okay. good. It comes out of England. But because I... I hear so many uh, reasoned explanations. I think that I could have a rational explanation for whichever position I want it to be in, if that's where I want it to be in. But there's something very Mm -hmm. satisfying about God, about Jesus, about the way of life that he has for us, about 
the grace that is at work in us, um, you know, uh, producing in us the fruit of the spirit, you know, peace, love, and joy, and, and enabling us to follow his commandments. Like I, considering the Sermon on the Mount, you know, that's kind of the way I understand it, the way of life that Jesus has set out for us, to, for his disciples to walk in. And I don't know, for, for a long time, there were some areas of sin that I just didn't, um, just didn't put an end to, but it was more like I was just managing it, I guess. But I think, but here more recently, Mm -hmm. not that I've arrived at perfection or anything, but more of coming to a place where there's, um, not an area of my life where I think, well, I'm not repentant in that area. It seems like I'm given over, um, still a work in progress, but nothing that I'm just managing, you know, no sin that I'm allowing to continue and I'm just kind of managing it. It's, it's more of just really, um, a a heart that's given over. So it's affected me a lot in just, my conscience, um, I didn't realize that a little something in the back of the conscience affects the whole area of life until it's not really there anymore. Uh, the problem is not there anymore. And it does affect the whole area of life. So all of this, just the, the grace that God gives us to walk in this particular way and the joy that comes from it, it's all you know, so that's like really a subjective thing, but that's the thing that um, um, uh, has me here. Um, so the the reasons for it, I'm glad there are reasons, and they can be helpful because I think when atheists or uh, people bring up objections, they can really be troubling to people, um, even though it might not pull them away from the faith, because because it's so compelling, it can be really troubling to them. So I, I think that's like one of the helpful yeah. things about apologetics. It probably doesn't, I guess for some people, it might bring them into the faith if they're very rational and they're very, you know, and it just makes sense to them and they just have to go where reason and logic directs them. But I think the more useful yeah aspect of apologetics might be just to help people to have an answer to things that might trouble them, you know, that they hear, um, that there is an answer to give to objections and so forth, you know, but, um, yeah, you were saying, you know, what people, um, want to know is if Christianity is true and if it's good and, the true part is kind of frustrating to me because I, the people I'm connected to and talk to sometimes, um, you know, I'm not sure if they welcome, hey, let's just get into it and talk about what are your objections to Christianity? Can we just get them out on the table and wrestle through them and stuff like that? <laughs> um, but that is a, a little bit of a frustration mm-hmm. to me because I think that they don't think it's true, but I don't think they know a whole lot about it either, you know. And uh, I think they might be surprised 
if they had a real full-bodied understanding of the Bible, you know, just that it's such a unique piece of literature compared, you know, nothing compares to it. Um, and then Christianity and just reasons for belief that it's not like a lock tight type of thing with, um, you know, that someone couldn't have an objection against, but it's, there's just a lot of good reasons that people are probably unaware of reasons for the things we believe, you know? So it's, it's hard for me. That's a little bit of a frustrating thing. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think you just don't know (laughs) as far as, um, enough and you're kind of stereotyping Christianity or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like I said, growing up, there was all these apologetics resources, uh, creation research. If you know, they got the feeling that, uh, you know, that they would work on their arguments against the other side. Um, and some of the arguments are pretty effective and, and, and some evidence was, was pretty compelling, but probably not very, um, some of the ones I'm familiar with weren't always the most credentialed or, um, and it kind of got the sense that it was more of a, just winning an argument, um, or whether it was creationism or whatever. Um, and, and, uh, yeah, I, I've been listening to a lot of audiobooks. Like I said, uh, one I was recently listening to was, uh, St. Augustine. can't remember if it was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, okay. Confession. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he talked about, he had been influenced by a sect, kind of a an offshoot of Christianity that had some different beliefs and he was influenced by them before he came to Christianity and uh, eventually he became dissatisfied because he was a, a very logical person especially for that point a lot of his book is just kind of giving arguments uh, for what he believed in kind of a rational um, Socratic hmm. method type that's what it seemed like to me an expert on philosophy or anything, but um, it was interesting to me that he, he mentioned that he, he wasn't satisfied with their explanations for uh, the existence of things and, and God. And, but there had been something, and I don't remember exactly what it is now, but there's something about Christianity that was keeping him from being able to believe that until he realized that it was because he had two literal an uh, understanding of a passage in scripture until he realized that it was supposed to be taken figuratively. And uh, so whatever that was, I'd have to go back and read it. Uh, that's when he was like, Oh, aha. So, okay. I, I can, I can put that objection aside because I misunderstood um, how this passage was supposed to be interpreted. And I, I think that a lot with a lot of apologetics, they're very adamant about their way of understanding something that could be, understood more than one way um, from scripture. And, and that might turn people off at more than it would uh, actually convince them. Um, mm-hmm. So, right. Like I said, uh, 
eventually I think it's got to be more uh, that they see Christianity as good. And a lot of people are going away from Christianity because they see things that are mm-hmm. issues and um, a lot of things going on more recently that uh, the way I would say evangelicals are known for, they become kind of a political block. And I guess you could say I grew up evangelical, although I didn't really understand the word until maybe the nineties <laughs> and it's become, it's morphed into more of a political uh, ideology almost. Uh, you know, I would, I would have considered myself Protestant Baptist mm-hmm. um, and uh, but I see, saw people in my life that uh, were Christ followers, and I saw, uh, you know, faults in them, but also things that you felt like, okay, this is the way things could be when we follow Christ. This is uh, the way this person showed love to me, or or, or reached out to. Um, the unfortunate or um, treated people of all races um, with compassion and dignity and um, people that believe differently uh, or whatever, you know, it's just a a lifestyle that uh, spoke, that speaks to you um, when you see Mm -hmm. that uh, maybe a a humanist might be very similar or or someone who doesn't believe in God, but also is a good person. Um, But, it just it brings me back to the the story of creation, the way God created everything good, um, uh, and you, you can re- that's a a question to wrestle with. Well, why you know why did God if He could create everything, why did He allow evil? So you know it's kind of one of those basic questions you got to wrestle with, and then eventually just decide. You know, well, I don't understand it all, but I know God is good. Um, and, and, and then you start seeing the way things were meant to be. Um, and uh, I've been reading or listening to an audio book, a few audio books by oh, N.T. Yeah. Wright. Um, one of them was uh, um, something about hope. It, it, hmm. Surprised by hope. Um, it was a, a really good one talking about uh, basically um, how God created uh, the world and that the main thrust of Christianity is not whether we end up in heaven or hell, but uh, that God uh, is showing us how to, to uh, let him live through us is how I would (laughs) sum it up. But, um, we get focused on that uh, eternity issue, which is obviously of the utmost mm-hmm. importance. But do we really understand uh, what that really means? Um, and it, it, we it becomes so important that we we can stop acting Christ-like because you know the the liberals or whoever we see as the enemy. Um, is trying to uh, make kind of losing my train of thought. Sorry, but uh, I would say, you know, our identity 
as uh, Christians shouldn't be wrapped up in uh, us versus them and uh, whether we end up in the good place or the bad place, but living out, letting Christ live his life through us. I, I was uh, kind of involved with a really um, legalistic organization on my first trip to Russia. Um, and uh, they really focused on how people were outwardly, how they lived outwardly. Um, but, you know, there was, there's always good and bad in different organizations. I met a lot of great people through there. But while I was there, uh, one of the books that really influenced me was uh, The Saving Life of Christ by mm-hmm. Ian Thomas. Mm-hmm. And uh, just talked about how um, if we were saved without any, if we received salvation without any merit of our own, it was all the grace of God. Why do we then try to live the Christian life? in a different way why do we try to live the christian life like oh i've got to read my bible i've got to pray i got to do all these things so that god will be pleased with me so i'll be a good <laughs> christian or, uh, and it's talked about that uh, god gives us his life and, and that kind of that that whole concept of christ living his life through me was something i thought about for probably every day for about a year and that kind of transformed uh my concept of the Christian life um, it continues to uh, a similar book I started reading recently is called uh, Grace Walk. I don't remember the author, but really similar um, concept. I'm not sure where I took off from your last question or what that question well, you, was. But. You, so you brought up T- uh, N.T. Wright and you, you've, um, I saw on your Facebook profile, a mention of Norm Wakefield. So I have, so I I just want to bring up something that's, um, I'm not sure what to, that's my uncle, Norm Wakefield. Norm Wakefield. He's your uncle. He's my uncle. I didn't know that. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so he's really involved in the homeschooling. Okay. So, all right. So both, N.T. Wright and him uh, yeah. have something similar I want to bring up that I'm not sure what to think about. And just to, and if you haven't thought about this or worked through it, that's fine. But if you have, I'd like to know your thoughts. But N.T. Wright, you know, he does have an emphasis on like um, God's kingdom come, you know, like right now. And that there's going to be a, a new heavens and new earth. Things are going to be restored. It's not so much like going somewhere else, you know. And and then as far as like, it's hard to get a clear answer from him on like the return of Jesus, the second coming. Like, is this a visible thing coming down from the sky or not? He, um, And then Norm Wakefield, I was at um, somewhere, a homeschool conference, and he was speaking. And, and I'm, this was many years ago and, um, I hope I'm getting them right. I might not be, um, but it's still kind of illustrative of the question I want to ask, but he illustrated like, um, with his hand, like, let's say that this is the earth the globe. So in, when Jesus coming back, are we thinking of like him coming through space, through the air, and then he's appearing in the sky in some way. And he said he thinks of it more 
of like a revealing, um, like mm-hmm. the blinders are taking off, like Jesus is here, but then it's going to be revealed. And Paul uses those words, I think, in like Galatians, maybe it's chapter three, um, in the first verse or two. And, um, and I've kind of, so the idea, but then again, there are, there is scripture such as at the beginning of Acts about, um, when Jesus is ascended, just as he left, that's how he's going to return. So there's things that if we're taking it in just a face value, like, well, it's going to be like, he's going to in bodily form, just, just come down from the sky. But that's, that's just hard for me to grasp or like, like right now there's a spiritual connection to Jesus, but when there's, and it almost seems like when he, he's speaking to his disciples, he said, it's good that I go away, um, that the Holy Spirit would come. It seems like that's going to be a more closer connection than just having Jesus's body close by. Um, so it's, for me, it's a little bit hard. So I would like to kind of think about the second return of Jesus as being something more spiritual, more, um, intimate with all of us, um, than a physical body coming down from the sky, which is hard to grasp. Um, and it makes me kind of lean toward, um, uh, kind of like spiritualizing some of that, some of the, the way things are put. But then again, I don't want to do wrong to what the scripture plainly says. I want to conform to it and let it, it be my authority and my belief rather than me conforming it to myself. Um, there was a, um, in looking up some things on this, I, I read an archive of an old book online of uh, a fellow who thought that, um, as Jesus more and more is manifested in his um, followers through their character, that's going to be like the manifestation of Jesus on earth. But, um, but that's not really satisfying either. There's some, there's going to be a resurrection. There's going to be some new age. That's, you know, very clear, but have you ever heard of hurt Norm speak about the second return of Jesus? And do you understand his viewpoint um, or do you have any thoughts about this subject? This it's kind of a, uh, well, I hope he's not <laughs> listening to this podcast because honestly, I haven't okay. really listened to his stuff much, you know, obviously growing up with him and I've heard, but yeah, he has his whole uh, workshop of things. I, I've, I've started listening to some of the stuff, but what you're okay. talking about, I'm not sure I, I could answer. But as far as NT right, I know what you're talking about. Uh, and uh, I, I think on one hand, he talks about kind of a spiritual duality, spiritual duality that a lot of believers have where spiritual, good, physical, bad, mm-hmm. or into, to over-spiritualize things uh, causes problems. And you get this triumphalistic type of Christianity that where what what's happening now to the world and global warming or whatever doesn't really matter because we know what the end is and we're going to, we end up there, you know, you know, it's oversimplifying the way some people believe, but 
you do see the results of that. And I think um, where God um, created the world, you know, he gave Adam a work to do, and that was to be steward over his creation, that he had created good. And, um, you know, whether you take it literally or not, you saw people living to these 600-something years. And I'm always thinking, you know, I wish I could live that long. It's just like once you, what's that song, once you define the things you want to do, then there never seems to be enough time to do the things you want hmm. to do once you find them. It's like there's, there's so many great things in life that I enjoy. And I feel like if I either had enough money or had enough time, I could do a lot of them, but only scratch the surface. It's just, to me, a testament of the goodness of God's creation and the life he's given us. There's so many bad things too, but that's, that's the other side of, uh, of the fall and the beauty of the whole redemptive story that, that God's working out that, uh, you know, as, as far as you were talking about, uh, the second coming of Christ. And from what I understand, N.T. Wright does believe that, Yes, the kingdom is here now, which is what Jesus says. The kingdom has come. But there's also the ultimate, uh, the kingdom, where there will be no tears. And um, uh, we, we have a very limited understanding of, <laughs> of heaven. And that's what I liked about that book. So, you know, we had a lot of questions about hell and the justness of hell. But do we even understand heaven? So what's our hope? Uh, you always ask that in your podcast is that that book I thought was really good. Surprised by hope. What What is our hope? Do we even have an understanding of what, what heaven is? Is it streets of gold? That just really doesn't right. do anything for me. I'm sorry. So maybe that's figurative. Um, and as far as the second coming of Christ and coming on the clouds and the dead in Christ rising to meet him. Well, if you're in Australia, do you rise up mm-hmm. or do you go through the earth? Or, you know, you got all these weird practical questions if you read that literally and so i really doubt that that's meant literally um so some you know i don't want to cause anyone to question the authority (laughs) of scripture or the the veracity of scripture but there's so many things that when you have a simplistic understanding of uh the truth of scripture and taking everything literally um there's, there's so many things we don't even question that it was met figuratively. So maybe we should start taking a, a second look at some other passages um, and, 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 and see, well, how does this really make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, um, but as far as uh, the overall concept of uh, the ultimate uh, fulfillment of God's kingdom, um, that, that's something I've been thinking about a lot more with the, reading those books. And um, I, I feel on one hand, things are always getting better and, and things are always getting worse. And we tend to say, well, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. And I think it was into you, right? This said something. We should never say that. Uh, hmm. This is God's creation. Yes, things are. There is evil. And it is getting worse in one sense, and another sense, things are getting better. If you look at uh, you look at Russia and, and with communism, um, things got worse in one sense, in another sense, they got better. Uh, Russia became one of the most literate nations 
in the world, almost 100% literacy rate, um, whereas before they were very backwards, uh, peasants and serfs, and um, they advanced in technology. I, I really enjoy technology and how it's always advancing. On the other, other end, you know, Facebook seems to be destroying our culture, mm-hmm. social media, in other ways. And, but we don't, we never use the full potential of God's creation um, in, in good ways. We always find good and bad ways to use it. Um, um, one thing I enjoy doing is, is gardening, and it brings me back to creation where uh, God created the Garden of Eden. And I imagine that um, things just, you know, they're. I don't know if God laid out the garden for them or if that's just a figurative term for um, but he, he gave them work to do and it's it's really frustrating to have to deal with weeds and and uh, bugs and, and and all those things but I like like uh, the concept of permaculture <laughs> where everything kind of uh, fits together in a system you got the bees pollinating the the uh, the crops and and a diversity of crops where everything kind of fits together and I would love to have a hundred years to work out the perfect garden and mm-hmm. on a plot of land you know where everything um, to me that's kind of what um, uh, it's kind of a picture I have of of heaven I think we're gonna have work to do I think we're gonna have um, things to do with God's creation, um, because you know, sitting on a cloud with a harp is, is with streets of gold doesn't right. do anything for me. <laughs> but uh, the things we enjoy in this life um, and sometimes idolize uh, are just a taste of of what uh, what it will hmm. be like then. But uh, meanwhile, the kingdom of God is is here, and. Uh, God's kingdom should be worked out with kingdom methods. And I think a lot of people question the goodness of Christianity today because they see, okay, we need to use, you know, evangelicals especially have this attitude of, of getting power to work out. Uh, well, I'm not, I'm not sure theologically it seems like a mixed bag, but, using worldly methods to uh, get kingdom gains. Um, I think about, uh, maybe this is far enough removed from any recent events, but back when uh, one of the owners of Chick-fil-A had an interview and mentioned um, believing uh, traditional family values, and a lot of liberals got upset over it and were trying to boycott Chick-fil-A and so evangelicals and conservatives in general kind of push back and they would, you know, you'd see lines right wrapped around Chick-fil-A. I mean, that, there's some good and bad things going on there, but uh, there was one girl who um, was a drive through cashier and a guy came through and was just berating her for working for such a horrible company that was um, against uh, gays and how can you how can you live with yourself and and that and then he posted this video thinking he had done something you know thought he looked better than he did and then 
what happened was all these people started what they called doxing him. They looked up, they found out where he worked. He ended up losing his job. Um, you know, he had death threats. Um, what, what the girl demonstrated at the cashier, she responded to him gracefully. And, and everybody's like, oh, we need to help her. And, and you know, so let's get this guy. Um, wasn't a Christ-like response. Mm-hmm. Her response was Christ-like. Was so much more powerful. I mean, I'm sure the guy, he came back with an apology and regretted it. Um, but uh, yeah, I just see that acted out over and over is um, forget about Christ-likeness. We, we got to... We need to win. Winning is important. So, I don't know. I think that causes a lot of people to to question the goodness of yeah. Christianity. Let me see that. Well, just in wrapping up, do you have any, um, I don't know, some people it seems like they live by maxims, things they keep in mind that help them when, you know, in decisions or anything, anything about life, you know, any maxims about life that you keep in mind that have been helpful to you or anything that you've just learned about life. That's, you know, maybe just something that's been on your, you know, you've been learning lately or maybe just something you've carried with you through life, but anything in particular that comes in mind, um, that you, um, that helps you, um, you know, that's like a principle for, for living. Well, you know, mm-hmm. all kind of Bible verses. But, uh, I would say if there's one I try to follow is seek first the kingdom of God um, and, and, and focus on the things that are eternal, which I don't do very well, but that's what I try to keep coming back to, you know, when I get too caught up in work. How much does this actually matter? Um, I think our work does matter. That kind of comes mm-hmm. back to the kingdom is now. So how we, how, how we work, um, how we act at work, how it's, it's all should be an outflow of, of Christ in us. But do we get too caught up in it? And, um, lifetime, time is limited. Um, so what are we doing that matters yeah. for eternity? That'd probably be where I would start. And then there's all yeah. kind of other things to live by when you open yeah. up the word. Let let it read you. Let it what? One thing I like is uh, let let hmm. let the Bible read you. Um, that's what something I like that my pastor says sometimes. Um, we recently joined a church. It's a non-denominational church. Uh, We've been looking, we've been, we moved recently, so we were looking for a church for a while, but uh, uh, it's an all-volunteer church, and uh, it just, it's it's kind of neat seeing how that works when uh, they're able to use all that money towards outreach hmm, wow. to the community. And, um, all right. Yeah. So hopefully some people have learned the value of that in the last year with COVID and being in lockdown and well, thanks, John. Um, I appreciate your time and I appreciate your insight. It's been good just to spend some time with you. So I, thanks a lot for being a part of this conversation. 
I enjoyed it too. Uh, somebody's at the okay. door. I'm gonna take right. off.